The third chapter, verses 1 through 21, I invite you to take a pew Bible if you choose. It's on page 1027 if you'd like to follow along. Hear now God's word to us. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of God, born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. Now as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Will you pray with me? Loving God, we pray that as we come before you as we attempt to speak your word. We pray, Lord, that you would speak both to us and through us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Recently, I heard a story about a pastor that one January decided to preach on John 3, on this passage of Nicodemus's encounter with Jesus. And then the next Sunday, the pastor preached on John 3. 
And the next Sunday, John 3. And the next Sunday, every week, it was seeming to become, was being preached on John 3. The church elders and the people start talking to one another. They were getting a little frustrated, but you know, they felt a little intimidated about talking to the pastor. You know, you can talk to pastors about a lot of things, but talking to them about their sermon topics, well, can be a little touchy. A little touchy. Believe me, I know. Um, (laughs) They can be a little sensitive. So this pastor is still preaching on John 3, and March rolls around, and April rolls around, and still, John 3. The elders could not stand it any longer. You thought you had it bad just doing John for one year, the whole book. This was one verse, week after week after week. So they finally, they gently asked the pastor, why are you preaching on John 3 every week? Well, the pastor cleared his throat and said, when we start to do what this scripture is telling us to do, I will start telling you something else to do. Well, we just read John 3. And to be honest with you, you probably could preach for six months on that one passage. But we're not going to do that. This story has a lot of famous biblical phrases. Did you pick up on those? Those phrases that sometimes you see on the cardboard sign at the football game that gets picked up by the television camera. You must be born again is one of them. Or for God so loved the world. Or Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world. Did you know that all those phrases, all those lines came from this one story from John of one man's encounter with Jesus? It all begins with this man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. For those that have been in church, you've probably heard of the Pharisees before. We might remember that they've had some rough encounters with Jesus in the past and in other parts of the Bible. They are people that we think we know who they are, but do we really know who they are? So I thought, just to clarify, make sure we're on the same page today, we do just a little Pharisee 101. The Pharisees go back 200 years ago, before Jesus, excuse me, 200 years before Jesus, and there was a group called the Hasidim. These were the godly people of Judaism. And then there was a group that separated from the Hasidim called the Perusim, and that word means separate to separate. And that's where we get our word Pharisee from this word parousim. And these parousim were a lay movement. They weren't clergy, they weren't priests, they were a lay movement, and they considered themselves not corrupted like many of the priests and the clergy and the Sadducee-type folk. These Pharisees were well-educated, They were impressive with their knowledge of the law and of the traditions. They had very specific rules, and they had most admirable ethical standards and goals. They fasted regularly, and they gave money, that money, to the poor. These folks really cared about following the truth. They were serious about their religion. You know anyone like that? But these Pharisees 
were often at odds with Jesus' teaching and his ministry. And it's Nicodemus the Pharisee that seeks out Jesus. Nicodemus had probably heard uh, that John the baptizer had referred to Jesus as the Lamb of God. That probably caught his attention. He'd probably heard that some were calling Jesus the Messiah. That caught his attention. He probably heard about that water into wine incident that had recently happened. So maybe, thought Nicodemus, he really was sent from God. But if he was sent from God, why is he not studying with our rabbis? If he was sent from God, why is he critical of our practices? Nicodemus has some questions for Jesus. He wants a conversation. So he comes to Jesus at night. For those of you that thought you were getting a sermon on television and Nick at night, well, the title is Nick and Nicodemus at night. He comes to Jesus at night. Of course, the question is, why did Nicodemus come at night? Maybe he doesn't want his fellow Pharisees to know that he's talking to Jesus. He doesn't want to be ridiculed by them. Or maybe, if Jesus is the Messiah, Nicodemus is kind of like the good, the keen and the good reporter that he wants an exclusive on the story. Or maybe... Nicodemus comes at night because it is dark at night. And as we know in John's gospel, there's much said about darkness and light. Nicodemus is coming in the darkness to the one who is called light. And the first thing that Nicodemus does, he tries a little sweet talk. Did you pick up on that? He says, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who was sent from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God weren't with him. Oh, what a way to butter Jesus up, huh? But, you know, Jesus is not one to be wooed by flattery. He cuts right to the chase. In essence, he says, I know why you're here. I know you want to get into the kingdom of God don't you? Well, here's the deal. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. There it is. That phrase. Those words, born again. Man, those were hot-button words when I was a very young Christian. Some of you are old enough to remember that Chuck Colson published a book by that title. It was a big deal. Just a couple weeks ago in the newspaper, there was this article on what an evangelical is. They used the term born again to try to define that word. For some, the word born again makes complete sense and it's comforting. For others, it creates confusion and red flags and possibly even anger. One pastor tells this story. When she was in a tire shop waiting area, you know, those tire shop, you know, the wonderful aroma of rubber in the room, you're picturing it. There's lots of chairs in there. She sits down on one with lots of chairs nearby. She picks up her women's magazine and she just wants to read her magazine. Yet a man comes and sits right next to her. 
and he pulls out a leaflet with the title, How to Be Born Again. The man asks the woman, Wouldn't you like to be reading something of more spiritual significance than that magazine? Have you been born again? Well, seeing the face of this earnest man in his mid-40s, looking at her expectantly, the pastor resisted the quick retort. But then with no immediate reply, the man comes back to her and he says, Well, have you? So the pastor answered, I am so glad that you asked that question because I've been reflecting on Jesus' words to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and I don't think Jesus means born again as if it were some emotional lightning strike that once it's over, we speak of our salvation in past tense, and like now that it's done, I can just tick it off my bucket list. I think being born again calls for a change in who we perceive ourselves to be. And that's not something that we do, but that's how God transforms us. And I think that is a lifelong process. Well, the man shook his head as if to say, geez, lady, it was a yes or a no question. And he took his track and he left. Nicodemus asked what born again meant. And I think people have been asking it ever since. The Greek word used here is for again is anothen. And that can be translated either from above or again. Same word, anothen. Nicodemus obviously takes it to mean again. How can someone, he asks, Be born when they are old. Surely they cannot enter their mother's womb a second time. Nicodemus clearly is not getting it. And in some ways, we're kind of glad Nicodemus isn't getting it because we don't really get it either. We, like Nicodemus, we crave Jesus' explanation. But here's the problem. Nicodemus is hearing Jesus' words as a what-to-do command, as opposed to a who-to-be transformation. To Nicodemus, in his literal Pharisee mind, and let's admit it, our minds too, it's absurd to enter a mother's womb and be born again. And maybe, possibly, Nicodemus is picking up on the analogy a little bit, and maybe he's getting a little offended at Jesus, because if you're to be born again, that means starting over. And Nicodemus might be thinking, what about all I've done? What about all I've studied? What about all the rituals I've gone through? It would be like someone saying, I'm well into my Ph.D. dissertation. I'm not going back to kindergarten. It's rather ironic that Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He recognizes that there's something about Jesus that is beyond his understanding. That's how he opened this time. We know you are from God. He recognizes that. Yet here, he's face to face with Jesus. And once he's speaking with him, he clearly does not get 
beyond his literal, earthly interpretation of what Jesus is saying. Jesus answers Nicodemus with continued talk of being born, this time of water and the Spirit. And he tells him, don't be surprised about this born again or born from above talk. Jesus is trying to pull Nicodemus, and I think pull us, out of our concrete, human-centric minds to even get a little glimpse of what the kingdom of God is all about. And Jesus uses that analogy of the wind to help Nicodemus and to help us understand. Note, as many of you know, the word for wind in Greek is pneuma. And it's the same word for wind as it is for spirit. So Jesus is playing with these words. And he says the wind blows where it blows. You know, you can hear the wind, but you don't see where the wind comes from. You can see the effects of blowing trees and bending trees and through the leaves of the trees. But you don't actually see the wind. Like the wind is invisible, so is the Spirit of God. You can't see God, but you can see the effects of God. You can see the effects of the Spirit on a person's life. And Maybe more than anything, you can't control the wind. You can't control the spirit any more than you can control that wind. Maybe even more spirit-born people are not ones who are just following the rules. They're following God. Nicodemus is trying to get his head around this. And he gets out his final and very simple question to Jesus How can this be? Jesus' response, some would say, is less than gracious. He says, you are Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things? Ouch. Jesus humbles Nicodemus. In essence, he questions those pharisaical credentials of his, those that he's so proud of. Nicodemus, the Pharisee, had felt like he understands this kingdom and he has this kingdom under his control because he knows, or at least he thought, he knew what he was supposed to do. But Jesus' challenge to Nicodemus is there's so much more to believing. There's something deeper. There is walking and living under the control of the Spirit. Fred Craddock, a well-known author and preacher, tells a story about a young man he knew who was a special education teacher. And one November, the young man was in the schoolyard at the special ed school, and there was this beautiful little girl on the playground, and he came up to her, and he just said, so how was your Thanksgiving? And the little girl said, my shoes are red. My shoes are red. There was something in this little girl's brain, the young man explained, that wouldn't let her connect with the world around her. The only thing she could say was, my shoes are red. My shoes are red. Her response broke this man's heart. And it was after Craddock heard that story from his friend that he happened to go to Dallas, and he was visiting some friends there. This was many years ago. 
and they went to church together on a Sunday morning. And the music was incredibly inspirational. It just moved them, much like this morning. I felt moved by that music this morning. The prayers were well thought out. There was focus in the sanctuary. The sermon was strong and biblical. The congregation sang with joy and with volume. And when the benediction was spoken, Craddock says, he didn't want to move. He was truly inspired by the experience. He was just in awe and just wanted to sit there and soak in the Spirit. Just at that moment, a man who'd been sitting in front of him turned around and extended his hand, and he said rather loudly, So, you think Jimmy Johnson's going to coach the Dallas Cowboys this year? You know what he was really saying? My shoes are red. He didn't get it. There was something in that moment of worship for Craddock that no one could define nor even describe. It was a spirit moment. The wind was blowing, but the man in the pew missed it. He must have had his windbreaker on. He might have known the words to the songs and the words to the prayers, and he was there, and he stood up, and he sat down, but he didn't get it. If one's faith is based solely on what we can see and the rules that we follow and the words that we learn and the traditions that we hold, that faith is insufficient for the kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying. It won't hold up when life becomes challenging and confusing and the rules are not working. That is why Jesus was questioning Nicodemus and questioning his belief and trying to pull him out of his one-dimensional world. He was trying to pull him into that heavenly dimension. He was trying to pull him into the world of untamed wind and untamed spirit. It is as if Jesus is pulling Nicodemus through the door of the wardrobe into the world of Narnia, the land of Aslan, and introducing him to a mighty lion, a lion that let himself be humiliated and executed for the sake of a wayward teenage boy. It's in this context that Jesus, in essence, introduces himself. He introduces the Son of Man, who's the one who gives eternal life. Jesus says that verse, I think we've all memorized, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. We all got it. Why is this verse? In the middle of this dialogue-turned-monologue between Nicodemus and Jesus, the one that virtually every Christian learns at some point in their life. For that matter, why is John 3.16 on the little black markers underneath Tim Tebow's eyes? There I said it. I said Tim Tebow. Okay. 
You know, in about uh, 26 words, the mystery, the promise, the love, the gift of the gospel are all clearly stated right there. Remember, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus the Pharisee, the one who considers him part of the chosen people of God, both by his blood and by his obedience to the law. Jesus has been trying to get Nicodemus to go beyond what is comfortable. And now he shocks him. We're so comfortable with that verse, we don't get it. But this was a shock to Pharisee ears. God loves the world. That world includes Jews and Gentiles and atheists and good people and bad people. And not just people, but the animals and the mountains and the sun and the moon and the sky and the ocean. God loves it all. And it's because of God's love that he sent Jesus into the world, not to spy on people like some first century hidden camera. Nor did he send Jesus to make them feel guilty. God sent Jesus because he loves the world. And God didn't stop there. He gave everyone the opportunity for eternal life. Not just the chosen people of God. Not just the perfect. Not just the rule abiders. But everyone can have eternal life. It's a gift given to all who believe in Jesus. This might have been the most shocking thing of all to Nicodemus. Jesus is telling him that eternal life is a gift. Unearned, unmerited, undeserved. And that gift is staring him right in the face. And Jesus concludes that monologue by clarifying, by emphasizing his purpose. And he says, indeed, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. God sent his son, as one scholar puts it, on a great rescue mission, not on a great tattling spree. You know, one thing fascinating about this whole dialogue between Nicodemus and Jesus is we never hear Nicodemus's immediate response. We are going to hear more from Nicodemus and John, but right now we don't hear his immediate response. We don't know whether he actually grasped this concept of being born from above, letting go of his pharisaical pride, and in essence, if he ever went back to kindergarten. Yet, we don't know if this nocturnal conversation drew him out of the darkness and into the light. We don't know if he was able to take off his windbreaker and experience God at a deeper level than rules and regulations and red shoes. Maybe we don't know because Nicodemus' story is our story. Maybe we are the ones trying to grasp what Jesus is saying and feeling a little overwhelmed. Craving the spirit, yet fearful of that lack of control. 
in his book, An Anthropologist on Mars, the neurologist Oliver Sacks tells about a man named Virgil who had been blind since being a very, very young child and at the age of 50 was able to have a surgery that regained his sight. But as he and Dr. Sachs found out, having the physical capacity for sight is not the same as seeing. Virgil's first experience of sight were very confusing to him. He was able to make out movements and colors, but arranging them into a coherent picture, well, that was more difficult. Over time, he learned to identify certain objects But his habits, his behaviors, were still those of a blind man. Dr. Sachs asserts, one must die as a blind person to be born again as a seeing person. One must die as a blind person to be born again as a seeing person. To follow Jesus, to truly be born again, is not to become a better person or an improved person or a good person. It's to become a new person. Maybe that is what Nick learned that night with Jesus. Amen. Will you pray with me?